SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. I'm kidding. I've <laughs> <laughs> been doing this about three and a half years, know the river inside and out, okay? I uh, got my guide certificate from a Cracker Jack box. <laughs> That's a joke. Guys, this is a joke. See the look at his face? It's all like, a Cracker Jack box? A what? <laughs> all you gotta do is follow my instructions out there, and we got a 50-50 chance of coming back alive. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sounds are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm Matt Bradley Shergi. With me is William Thrasher. And I will shoot you off of that goddamn horse. Right, and I, I will drink um, fecal-tainted water and take a bath in it and say it's delightful. <laughs> what we're talking about, if you can't guess from those uh, sort of quotes we did, is uh, every once in a while in Sequel Cast 2 we do what we sort of uh, call fill the gap. And now this isn't a filler episode, it's not like a flashback episode, but what it means is on the old Sequel Cast series there's movies we did that have gotten sequels since then, and so we'd like to, being completists that we are, like to fill those in every so often. This time we're looking at the 2015 film Vacation, which is a, um, it's not a remake really, but it, it has elements of a remake. I would call it kind of a soft reboot of the National Lampoon's Vacation movie. And well, this movie tries to be, it tries to be a sequel and a remake and a reboot, and then it has the audacity to try to comment on that. Yeah, and you know, this came out in 2015. If this was, um, you know, more successful, we would have seen, my guess, if they would have done a sequel, would have been Christmas Vacation. Would have been trying to take off of that. And it, it looks like, you know, worldwide it grows 104 off a budget of $31 million, but I think the problem is they were expecting Hanover for money. Well, it's it was profitable enough that I am shocked that we don't have another one. Yeah, I, I do know you might be wondering, okay, well, Matt, the first one is National Lampoon's Vacation. This is just called Vacation. Why is that? And there's, there's legal reasons for that. To get the National Lampoon name stamped on something... You need approval of the National Lampoon uh, Corporation, whatever it's called. And they will only do it if they're offered a lot of money, which is why you see National Lampoon stamped on all these, like National Lampoon's Dirty Balls or whatever. It's like direct-to-video uh, comedies are. Um, but for whatever reason, they didn't want to pwn it. But, you know, it's, it's weird because Fox has the... Uh, or no, is it? I'm sorry. I think it's, it's Warner Brothers. Has the rights to the vacation movies but they don't have the right to the National Lampoon name. But do you think the name National Lampoon means anything anymore? I, th I think it only means things to comedy nerds. Uh, I, I am sure that right. I am sure that you're just a, a standard, regular old audience member is not going to give too, give too much of a tinker's cuss about whether National Lampoon's name is attached to something. Or even what National Lampoon is. I, I suspect, e even among our own circles, there are people who think that they must be a weird movie production studio. 
Yeah, in fact, in a, a Gilbert Gottfried Amazing Colossal podcast recently, they had on whew, an actor from Animal House, uh, Tim Matheson, and he mentioned he was involved in trying to um, do kind of a, a, a takeover of National Lampoon to try to restore it to its former glory, but that didn't quite work out. Hmm. But all that being said, this vacation film um, was in the works for a while, I mean, and I, I did some research, and Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo, who have a very small part in this film, um, were trying to get their own vacation sequel uh, off the ground. Uh, you remember what their pitch was? I, I can only assume it's them driving cross-country to attend the birth of a grandchild. Nope. Swiss Family Griswolds. <laughs> oh, Wow. Is it like kind of what Uncle Ernie's Island yes, turned out to be? Yes, that is kind of like what the terrible movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2 Uncle Ernie's Island Adventure does. Um, although I imagine the Chevy Chase version would have been funnier. This this uh, Vacation remake um, almost didn't get made because the uh, directors, Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, uh, were insistent on it having an R rating, which I don't think really helped its box office. And frankly, you look back at the old films, the only one that's rated R is the first one. And by today's standards, I think that could be getting away with the PG-13, even with the fuck that's in there. You know, it's funny. I didn't look at the rating for this film. I just, watching it, just based on things that have been in comedies over the past ten years, I sort of just assumed this was PG-13. Yeah, it's it's not, and I, you know I think the box office would have been stronger had it been PG thirteen. And I, I'm the last person to say that, but um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, as the tagline says, "What could go wrong?" Well, plenty, as we'll discuss. <laughs> so this was directed by Jonathan Goldstein, John Francis Daly. Um, John Francis Daly uh, is actually an actor who has a really small part in this that people might recognize as the the main boy in Freaks and Geeks, the TV show from the late '90s. Um, he's also on Criminal Minds, one of those shows. Um, produced by David Dobkin, Chris Bender, written by Jonathan Goldstein, John Francis Daly, based on characters by John Hughes. Of course, the vacation movies were based off of um, with these sort of comedic sketches, I guess you'd call them, in the National Lampoon magazine. Well, they were like humor short stories and videos. Yeah, sort of stories. Um, starring Ed Helms, Christina Applegate, Leslie Mann, Beverly D'Angelo, Chevy Chase... Uh, Chris Hemsworth, Mar mu music by Mark Mothersbaugh, cinematography Barry Peterson, edited by Jimmy Gross. Um, this was uh, distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures in the United States and made 104 over a budget of 31 million, as we discussed. So, um, yeah, I Mark, Mark Mothersbaugh on his music, he is not phoning it in. No, and, and he's done a lot of film work over the years. Uh, Mark Mothersbaugh. Of course, being one of the, the founders of, of Devo, but he, he's done music for movie and TV over the years for things ranging from, like, Rugrats uh, to... Um, the Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic, right. You know, sort of higher-end movies and, and, and things like this. So he, yeah, he, he does very, um, let's say, kind of quirky music scores that have um, a lot of humor inherent in them most of the time. And, uh, yeah, but with Vacation... I almost wanted to see this in the theater, but then reviews were, were pretty negative. I think surely um, people comparing it against the original, and John Hughes had died, you know, ten years before, and people like to point that out every time someone touches something that John Hughes originally worked on. 
And so it has a lot working against it. Um, so I, I did rent this, and the first time watching this, I was so angry at this movie, I turned it off, my wife and I turned it off 20 minutes into it. Wow! And uh, I, I watched the whole thing for the show, of course, and I think it gets better after that beginning part. But it's... Um, yeah, it takes way too long to get yeah. to the vacation. It does, it does, and there's a thing in scripts, they say, you know, oh, you need to spend time to build the characters, and, and I'm generally a fan of that, but I think for comedies, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, even in Caddyshack, we see the golf course uh, in the opening credits, even though it's just a dancing uh, gopher. <laughs> I mean, this is the equivalent of um, calling a movie Batman Begins, but Batman doesn't put on the, the cape and mask until, like, right before the end credits. Going, I'm ready. <laughs> so, as we recall, in the original vacation... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Thrasher. When did you first watch this? Was this for the show? Oh, yeah, just a few days ago for the show. And what, what were some of your first impressions? Uh, the... I was actually kind of... It's strange, strangely enough, I found the opening credit sequence very charming. Because yes. it has this nice little. Because it, it it is just the Holiday Road song, which I'm 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 shocked that they didn't do a cover of the Holiday Road song by like Smash Mouth or, or <laughs> some Forty One or whatever the kids are listening to now. But they do this nice effect where the opening credit sequence, the credits are played over photos of various family vacations and family outings, but all the photos are cropped. So after you sort of see what the photo is the view shifts just enough and some embarrassing detail comes forward. And and having been a person who's been in a couple of embarrassing family photos, I found I found that very charming. Uh, and that was a creative way to do an opening credit sequence and it earned me a lot of goodwill. Um, which sadly it started to to bleed away fairly quickly. Because like when because we're introduced we're uh, excuse me we're introduced to Ed Helms as as a grown up Rusty Griswold uh, who's now an airline pilot which is not a job I would have expected uh, that he for him but it does it does kind of it does kind of work and we also get the 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 first of uh, several uh, dementia jokes in this movie where uh, his co pilot's an older gentleman uh, and. Apparently there was some sort of there was some sort of review and the co-pilot was going to be forced into early retirement. But Ed Helms spoke out in his favor, and the co-pilot begins every sentence by thanking Rusty for sticking up for him as if it's the first time they've ever had that conversation. Yeah, it's a weird place to to start the movie. I, I think of the original Vacation movies, and it's hard to talk about this without comparing it to the originals. It. it um, I, I believe the uh, Clark Griswold, the Chevy Chase character, his job was through um, some sort of like a, a scientist or something, right? Yeah, he 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 engineered food additives, if I remember. Food, food, yeah, food additives, and I think you only saw that perhaps briefly in Vegas Vacation or something. But well, it's it's a it's mentioned it's mentioned a lot in Christmas Vacation because of the whole Christmas bonus thing. Yes, but, but you only see him at work, I think, in, in one of the movies, and it, it's called Vacation. It's not called Work. And that, that I, I agree, it's a bit thrown off seeing, you know, Rusty, uh, old Rusty, flying around in this beat-up, you know, shit show of an airline. Well, I mean, it's only... It's, it's, 
it only it only becomes a a, a shit show because it goes into I mean, physical comedy's always been a big part of the vacation vacation movies, but you know Rusty you know goes out. There's like a kid on the plane, so Rusty goes out to to give him the whole hey I'm an airline pilot, which is you know I, I I've been that kid. There's something very impressive about meeting a pilot for the first time, uh, but being as the guy with dementia is uh, at the is at the controls. Uh, the plane keeps rocking in these ridiculous ways that causes Ed Helms to be flung around the flung around uh, the cabin. You know, eventually, you know, grabbing onto the boy's mother's breast, eventually having his head buried in the boy's crotch. It's 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 one of those things. I guess what what it is is this movie. This movie wants to do a lot of slapstick. Uh, but something that I've liked about most of the vacation movies is, is that they are sort of very grounded. Uh, the, right. the places they are, even even when the characters get over the top, the places they are and the situations they're in do have a certain amount of reality. Which I mean, admittedly, every now they now and then they do break, such as with the bobsledding scene in uh, Christmas Vacation. But in in this movie, they keep treating their principals like cartoon characters, and it and it. And it does. And it doesn't work. What what makes Chevy Chase work uh, as a Griswold in the earlier films is that it's not that his character has dignity; it's that he really, really wants dignity. He wants to maintain what little dignity he has. So when he gets into these situations, it's funny. Ed Helms begins with no dignity. Mm. And and this scene just kind of just kind of like cements that. I only. It's especially with his face ending up in the kid's crotch. I just I feel bad for everyone in this scene. Right. It's um. No, I, I think that's a good point. It's a weird place to to start it. I mean, they do try to start the gears of the plot going, where and their friends are, are bragging about, oh, we went to Paris and it was so much fun and. Um, then he also I, I, meets that yeah. other airline pilot who's just having multiple affairs around the world. Sure, and I, I do think we get a good gag later where uh, Rusty's at home, he's looking through the book of all the different um, vacations he went on, and you see uh, the cast photos of the past movie, and uh, I, I think one of his sons or something mentions, like, oh, that's funny, you look different in all the pictures, Dad, because, of course, they recast the kid in Every all the, movie, the kids yeah. in all the movies. Uh, not only that, but in some movies, the sister is the older one, someone, the boy is the older one. They don't keep that consistent either. So um, I, I thought that was that was a cute joke, and it, it restored some um, some faith in in the movie. And and uh, just like in the original, the car becomes kind of a character. But while well, the first one was this iconic uh, wood grain kind of ugly green hunk of junk, the wagon queen family truckster. Wagon Queen family truckster, of course. And this one, it's a Albanian SUV with a lot of buttons. The Tartan Prancer. Yeah, it is. It is. The car has too much character. Mm -hmm. Like it's they. It's so. It's it's very very bizarre because I I'll admit I laughed at a lot of the I laughed at a lot of the car stuff to the point where I all I almost wished. That the movie was more about the car. Well, it's funny you mentioned the car. It made me think of a, um, a movie with a sequel. Actually, that's a sequel that we should probably cover in the show sometime. Uh, Hot Tub Time Machine Two. Uh, much of the plot is they go in the future and has to surprisingly has to do with cars in the future. 
And the car in the future in Hot Tub Time Machine 2 is less um, less futuristic than this car in this Vacation remake. Well, it's so it's so weird because, like, the, I guess the, the whole the whole joke is it's an Albanian car, so you know you would get jokes based around like foreign engineering standards, like like the Russian car that Homer Simpson drive test drives at one point that runs on kerosene, and one of its gears is H. But in, <laughs> but in this, it's it is so crazy. I mean, the car the car looks like a shoebox, has two gas tanks and a power cord. And I actually I took screen captures of all the buttons because there's there are buttons on their their yeah. knob to lock and unlock it, and then there's a set of dashboard buttons which are also s- surrounded by switches. Do you want to go over some of these buttons? Sure, we can. I don't. I'm not seeing the uh, the picture you're, you're talking about, well, but well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I but, captured but, them myself. Oh, sure, but you can describe them. But I think um, the thing with the gag with all the different pictures, it seems more like a uh, an Austin Powers joke. We again, it's 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 something straight out of a cartoon. If this was a cartoon or like a, a Mel Brooks movie, if this was a successful live action cartoon, I think a lot of this would have played would have played better. No, no, no. One of them was like a nuclear uh, missile kind of thing, right? Well, okay. So I'm looking I'm looking at the fob and the the, the pictures on the fob. Uh, uh, it is uh, a muffin. What might be a <laughs> headlight or might be a bullet. A horn, lock and unlock, a rocket ship, trunk open, rabbit, what might be a hurricane, a plug, some sort of swerve thing, a leaf, some sort of thing that might be sound waves, and a swastika. (laughs) Yeah. To the point where, like, when I saw when I saw the swastika on the brief close-up of the key fob, I'm like, oh, that's a weird blink-and-you-miss-it joke. But then they point out that it's there to the point like, well, okay, now that you've pointed out that the characters know it's there, that button better be pushed and this gag better have a big payoff. Regrettably, it does not. That's a problem with a lot of the jokes in the movie. I I describe it as kind of an issue as like the family guy problem that happens in that cartoon a lot. You have a joke and the joke is funny. Good. And then you explain it's a joke and explain exactly what it's referencing. And... That makes it much less funny because it makes you, it takes you out of this situation. And you're like, oh, it's a joke. Oh, this is why you should be laughing. And it's like they want to make it so everyone gets the joke and everyone laughs. But yeah, the the, the moment has has passed. The moment's passed, right? As opposed to Mel Brooks or, or something like that, where you have like a thousand jokes over the course of a movie, and if you don't get one, it's okay. The pacing is so fast, you just move right into the next twenty. So. So here's some comedy advice that I heard from Conan O'Brien on an audio commentary, and he got it from Jerry Lewis, and Jerry Lewis got hmm. it from Stan Laurel. And, okay. and this is something that, that when I try to write or perform something humorous, this is something I keep in my head. Tell the audience what you're going to do. Then do it. Hmm. Then tell them it's been done. Yeah, that's like classic essay writing advice in school, right? But yeah, no, that's true. I mean, if you... If you have proper uh, uh, structure and, and context, it makes the joke that much funnier. It, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it has to do with comedy. We'll get back to the movie in a minute, dear listeners. Um, Mel Brooks famously, uh, on a few podcasts, has complained, and he's right, about Saturday Night Live. Often a problem, you have, you have uh, really brilliant premises for the sketches, and then they don't have an ending. 
They don't have a proper ending that wraps everything up. Yeah, John Lovitz had had similar comments. Like he, Did he? he really okay. sort of points his his take was that the best sketches are like little stories that have a beginning, mm-hmm. a middle, and in the in the end. And so often the bad sketches, what makes them bad is that you only have a beginning. Right. Like there is. I mean, this isn't a real sketch, but this is an idea of what I'm talking about here. Like, like there is some. Like, it's, okay. Let's say there's a family that the joke is that they all fart all the time, and. Go on. And, and there's the awkward sound, of, gotcha. right? Right, and you know maybe a fa- another family comes over for dinner, and all of a sudden they're talking, and it's like, a, oh, 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 who did that? Is it the dog? No, it's me, little sister. Blah blah. Right. So you do this stupid little sketch, and then at the end you think, oh, the family's going to be offended, the family's going to leave, but at the end it just cuts to a, a wide shot of the house. You hear another sound effect, and everyone laughs. That's not an ending. No. You end, like, in the middle of a scene, not in a strawed moment, and it makes, you know, um, I think, speaking of quotes, uh, the, the screenwriter of things like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Misery, uh, William Goldman, said, uh, the first ten minutes is the most important of every screenplay in a conversation with Paul Newman, to which Paul Newman says, yes, but the last ten minutes are the most important of every movie. Huh. And oh, I think that's also course. true with, like, comedic sketches or comedic scenes. You have to nail that ending, and it's so hard to do. And we are, we are really avoiding trying to talk about this movie, but, like... We are, so let's go back to the it. The whole there. inciting incident is, <laughs> is like... Because, like, rather than just... So here, here's, here's my script doctoring. Um, we, we still begin on the plane. We Hell, we can even keep that lame gag from the beginning. The way the movie should begin is that Rusty wants to get home after this flight because he and his family are finally going to have a big summer vacation they always talked about. And then once the plane sets down, they can start that vacation. We would dispense with all this hemming and hawing about how they're bored and they're sedentary yeah. and they're not getting... A, there's too much family angst that I don't think it really needs... It's it's one of those points where like there's enough family angst where I really have to question why this family is even together in the first place, like because um, he's you know his his uh, his his wife uh, played by Christina Applegate uh, Debbie Christina Applegate is giving her all with this character but her character is is sort of underwritten uh, she only she only has kind of she only really has like one really good scene that's about her. Um, and uh, but you know there there there's she always wanted to sort of travel the world which they they haven't done to the point where I kind of wonder well he works for an airline like they do they can get comped tickets as yep. part of his compensation package um, like is there like like I, again hearkening back to the other movies what if he was going to get comp tickets for a European trip but then a union contract got renegotiated and that, and that compensation would was pulled it would echo the whole bo- Christmas bonus check from Christmas Vacation but it's also something that could happen that could turn an awesome trip to Europe into a mediocre uh, road trip yeah no that, that's a very smart uh Observation and I, it, speaking of which, let's talk about the family a bit. We mentioned a bit Ed Helms as, as Rusty, who of course is the grown-up version of the son from the old movies. He, he's a very anxious character. There's um, a, a bit of pathos uh, to his marriage to Debbie, who's played by Christina Applegate. You know, she was a wild and crazy girl in college, and they do have a scene that kind of goes into that. And it's like now that they're in settled married life, is that is that enough? Is that is she getting her needs met? 
is uh, he getting his needs met. And, and they have two kids, James and Kevin, and, uh, and the other one you have a boy and a girl, this one's two boys, and I think it should have been a boy and a girl, I think that's more interesting. Um, I, I can agree with that. But with two boys, you have the younger boy that curses a lot. I can't recall the names of them because I think they're such flat characters. And the other one is more ang the older one is more um, sort of anxious and nervous and alley like his father. Well, he's also well, he's also though like you know art artistic. He plays the guitar. He likes to write poetry. That's, yes, sure, right. Yeah, the stuff okay, with the I, girl later. I liked okay, so I really liked the older brother, if only because I saw a lot of myself at that age in him. Mm, so there's a mm -hmm. lot of truth to that. The younger brother is just a monster. The younger brother's a monster, but I do think it, it is true on family vacations. I, I had a sister, not a brother, but you still get into fights in the backseat of the car on these long vacations because you have nothing better to do, and you you know you just start. There's something about a family vacation where maybe two and a half hours into the car ride, maybe longer, maybe shorter, depending on how much your family likes each other, um, you start getting on each other's nerves, and there's certain madness kind of sets in. Yeah, to, to front load the movie <laughs> with the younger brother just being such an awful human being. Like, the younger brother, like, all the characters have problems. The younger brother oh, yeah, certainly yeah. should have some sort of problem that can be overcome, or at least challenged throughout Tourette's. the movie. <laughs> but it's like, you know, he's, all the backseat shenanigans have clearly been going on for years in this household. So them them taking the, the, the vacation apparently represents no change in the status quo for anybody. Right. Speaking of which, you know, they finally go on the vacation too far and, into the movie. Okay, oh, so they on. get they get yeah. their crazy Albanian car with all the improbable technology. That's about fifteen minutes in by the time they're on the road. Yep. And and this is when we get into one of the car gags I really like. So it's supposed to be a hybrid. So it has the two gas tanks and like a plug for charging. There's a great running gag where after they pull the plug out, they can never get it to retract. I mm. love that whenever they're driving the car, they're dragging the power cord behind it. That yeah, never failed good. to make me laugh. That is a uh, it's a very fine bit there. Um, and one of the first places they stop is uh, Debbie, the wife's alma mater. And they they go and there's uh, the the tripods or her having to be her sorority or, or having a big uh, party. They go to the sorority house, which is the lamest name for a sorority. <laughs> I just got that joke reading it. I didn't get it hearing it in the movie. God. Well, the other thing is, it's a joke that's already been made several times before in other media. There used to be, that used to be the name of a comic strip that ran in Maxim in the mid-2000s. <laughs> what, what about Stuff? What about his sister magazine, Stuff? Was it in there? God, uh, I don't think is, it was in Stuff, no. Stuff is such an amazing name for a magazine. Um, that's one of my favorite things. words. I just found out my boss at work hates that word, so I have to think of another one to use. <laughs> I think things might suffice. No. Um, anyway. But yeah, well, this, this is this is when we get like this is when she's allowed to have some character because you know the 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 whole the whole premise of the scene is she used to be a member of this uh, of this uh, sorority, and that apparently this wasn't an academic sorority. This was a party sorority, and they're doing this game she invented called the Chug Run. To raise to raise money for for autism. Not that they ever say autism. They only say at they only say Aspergers with the emphasis on the ass. Um, and this is something that I like about her character. That her character did have a really really wild youth, but that she she settled down. This yeah. is a very real thing that many that many people go through. And I love sure. that her character. I love that her character 
has it, and I love that she's she is something of a celebrity on this campus because of all those shenanigans that she that she got up to. Um, and we also get to, we also get Christina Applegate's uh, physical comedy chops because there's like some back and forth and she decides that she's going to show the girls how it's done and do the chug run herself and she downs this beer and runs this obstacle course lots of lots it's a bit of, like a double dare thing or we know she vomits too soon she should have been yes what i th- what I, f- I feel like is that she she should have rather because she's constantly vomiting which i think doesn't work because they don't hold on it long enough to make it funny unfunny funny again like she should have run the whole course, fallen off, and then vomited on her family. That's that's my shitty punch up for this scene. She my punch up is, is similar but a little bit different. I think she should have done the whole course. People burst out and applaud. They give her like a a, a trophy or something, <laughs> and then as they give her the trophy, then she vomits on people. But you're right. I mean, her vomiting it, it takes away the element of surprise. You vomit once at the end of the scene. Oh, that's a good that's a good button to the scene, as they say. But yeah. Constant vomiting, and, and also, it's if you're going to do a vomiting gag, it's very difficult to um, overtop, uh, in my mind, the wafer-thin mint segment in uh, Monty Python's Meaning of Life. <laughs> or what about the vomit scene in Team America World Police? Or the vomit scene in uh, the um, Jay Moore movie Mafia. Now, what do you think about the vomit scene uh, in Problem Child 2? That's a pretty good one. <laughs> Not thought of that in a long time. Well, that one, that one is like a perfect, like, over-the-top one, because, like, one person getting legitimately sick ends up causing an entire carnival to start uh, vomiting. If memory serves, that movie has a very um, huge dog diarrhea joke. Yeah, that, well, well, hey, that's a franchise. We can look at that in the future. But yeah, and, and there is, but the other thing, like, you know, approaching, approaching truth, like, I've met some of my parents' friends from college, and like I, I have picked up fallout from crazy shit my parents did when they were when they were mm. younger. And like there, there is something wonderful about learning that your parents were human uh, and did right. stuff like you did. And uh, like, I guess this this scene probably should have led to some bonding amongst the family, but it really does, and it really just it really is just to, to beat up on Christina Applegate. On the other hand, it's nice that, as you mentioned, Christina Applegate gets a scene where she's front and center. No, that's true, and I wish I wish there was a I wish there was a, a bit more of that. Yeah, um, and you know they later they stay at a motel, and you get a nice. I, I like this subplot in the movie of uh, James, uh, the older kid played by Skylar Cazando, has something with an, another girl he meets at the um, motel, Adina. Yeah, and, there, there's like a girl they keep this little, this girl they keep running into, and like he has a crush on her, she has a crush on him, and they keep failing to make any kind of connection. And it's kind of sweet, and it does feel like something you know, both funny and heartfelt. You would see in an old John Hughes movie. Oh yeah, I, I think I, w- I wish the movie could have had um, a, a bit more of that, and we get some payoff of that later. Oh, another another running gag. So they discover that their vehicle has a CB radio in it, and they start like talking to truckers. And the little kid, again, being an awful person, over the CB radio accuses a accuses uh, a trucker of uh, being a pedophile. Uh, and you think it's going to set up something like uh, Steven Spielberg's Duel, <laughs> because yeah. like they get run sure. off they get run off the road. Uh, by the truck, there's like this massive pileup, and we keep seeing that truck show up in really, really 
sinister ways. And to the point where, so what I was really hoping was that part of the part of the climax of the movie was going to be discovering since the truck is following them and they keep running into the same girl I kept waiting for it to turn out that the girl that the older brother had a crush on was the daughter of the trucker and oh, they were driving yeah. cross country on their own vacation and that's why they kept running into each other and I thought there was going to be like I thought there was going to be like a fight between Griswold and the trucker, which was only going to end when they both realized that their kids have crushes on each other. And like, mm. oh, that would have been so cool. That's yeah, not yeah. what we get. No. Instead, it turns out the the whole reason the trucker is following them is because Christina Applegate accidentally left her wedding ring at a diner, and he was trying to get it back to them. Yeah, which is kind of lame. But like that that has to be something that was brought in in a rewrite, if only because the trucker has had multiple opportunities to give it back and it hasn't been done. But also, it's never been mentioned that her wedding ring is missing. Yeah, you get a sense a lot of stuff was deleted to get this down to 99 minutes. Um, we get a, a scene afterwards where they're they're trying to go to a a hot spring, they're, and they get, you know, they get kind of off the, the side of the road, and, and they're told, like, oh, no, no, you need to go this way, and, and they, they go to this place, and it, it smells kind of weird, but, oh, isn't it nice, they're out in the open, it turns out it's a sewage dump. Well, yeah, and this was, this was, this was like a gag I could see coming a mile away when they go off the road and find, the, and they find, like, the, the, what they think is a hot spring. The whole time I'm thinking, oh, well, this has to be industrial runoff or sewage. That's the only two things that this can be. And it does turn out to be sewage. I guess sewage coming out of a state park, which is what they were in line for. And this this is this is one of those scenes where, like, I I wish they hadn't lingered on it. Because mm. I, I did find some humor in it, but after a while, it's just, I don't want to watch these people rubbing shit on themselves anymore. And each other, yeah. Um, also, I I don't know if you've been near open sewage. You can tell it's open sewage. I will smell it long before you see it. Yes, I, I've driven past it. I have uh, two uh, open sewage stories, if I may. Oh, do tell. Okay, one is in, in Portland, Oregon. They we have a, a big aquifer with um, kind of you know has water and so forth, and it cleans up the water and it, you know nothing too crazy. Um, natural water, as they tend to do here in the Pacific Northwest, but they they do not have the money to have a cover on it. So, at least once or twice a year, it gets filled with dead birds, or someone decides to pee in it, and then the city has to spend, you know, at, at least hundreds of thousands of dollars to clean it up. Have they put a fence around it? No. It's pretty dumb. Like, you think there's a few easy solutions. I mean, you can you can make a lid, f a, a top for it, which they really need to do, or, like, have a fence or something, or have security. But they proceed to not do anything and say, oh, we, people should not be doing this. And it happens every year. Silly situation. Um, the, the better of the two stories, uh, shortly when I moved to, to Oregon in 2006, ah, jeez, a long time ago, um, I was, uh, going on a, a date with the girl, it spent the night at her house, and then the next day she's like, okay, we're going to a hot springs. Ooh, hot springs, I don't really know what that is, let's go. And it turns out this uh, this off-road you take in Washington State to go to the hot springs um, was under, it was like deteriorating, so engineers were there and you couldn't use it. Hmm. 
And then we were like, oh, we have to find something something around here. We made this big old drive and got all ready. So uh, we, we drove around and uh, went across these sort of train tracks and found this little um, path next to a lake. And, oh, this is, this is pretty pleasant. And then it turns out we uh, were there for maybe 15 minutes. Um, nothing really starts happening, if you catch my drift. And all of a sudden we hear a, like a dog whistle. <whistles> of course, better than that. And we look over, and it's like out of Smokey and the Bandit. There's a cop right there on the top of the hill. Hmm. And it turns out we had been trespassing, and in the the um, Washington state law, you don't need a sign saying no trespassing to be trespassing on something. What? Meaning you don't have to be aware that you're trespassing to be charged with trespassing. And unfortunately, this particular um, individual that owned this land had a lot of people did this kind of same thing we did, because it looks like a kind of sneaky path on a lake. It looks like a, a you know, a not very well kept nature path. And I had a terrible week sweating my brains out, hoping not to get charged. And we did not get charged, as it turns out. But... Hmm. So those were two not very entertaining stories. Speaking of not entertaining stories, back to this Vacation 2015 film. Yeah, so there's 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 a lot of that stuff going on. So one thing, yeah. so one one thing that is kind of a, a runner is that uh, is that Rusty and Debbie are trying to find time to be intimate with each other, and so they yes. go to they sure. go to the Four Corners Monument and are staying at this like little this cabin, and they decide that they're going to sneak out, and they get the idea, hey, what if we sneak out and have sex in the Four Corners? Then we're like orgasming in four states at once. And like th- this is again, this is something that's 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 very real. If we're talking about things we've done in our in, in our youths, mm-hmm. sex outside at night in an interesting location is very awesome. I recommend everyone try it. Just take appropriate precautions, or else you're going to wake up with ticks. Um, anyway, speaking from my own experience. So anyway, this this is one of the scenes that I think was brilliant and really worked for me. And this is a scene yeah. that kept building. So they go to the four corners only to discover that the Four Corners is full of couples trying to have sex on the Four Corners. Yeah. And everybody freaks out, and then the police show up, and everybody scatters except for Rusty and Debbie. They can't get out. But then a cop from each of the four states shows up, and they get into this argument about who has jurisdiction. And it's a good scene because you have cameos for the different cops, uh... You're right. It does build up to craziness. I think the music by Mark Mothersbaugh works really good there, kind of upping the situation. Um, oh, and, oh, and it's just, and it's just, I love the the note they leave it on with like Debbie and uh, Rusty sneaking away while all the cops have gotten down on all fours on their corners. Yeah, <laughs> like getting to this weird four way staring contest. This, this is this scene was great. This, this was a scene. Taking place in a real location that took full advantage of that location, I so wish the movie had had more scenes like this. This probably was the comedic high point of the movie for me. That one's good. I think um, another one I thought had moments of brilliance was, uh, I think it was before the sequence, they go, uh, they're covered in shit, and they go to uh, Audrey, Rusty's sister. Oh, yeah. And they have this big kind of southern plantation-style you know, huge home. They have a lot of money. And her husband, Stone, is played by Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, who I guess has two jobs. He's both a cattle rancher and a cable TV weatherman. Yes. 
it's it's hey. weird how much like the weatherman thing like I don't know why the weatherman thing wasn't cut, but like that apparently like he went to meteorology school, which was paid for um, by by Audrey. But now that he's a cable weatherman, he's gonna make sure that she doesn't work. And there's actually this. Okay, so again, Chris Hemsworth is fucking brilliant in this movie, and I love that scene yeah. where they're all having dinner. And he's like, but you know what? I still want to work. I still want to feel like I have a purpose. Oh, you won't do that as long as I live and breathe. And like they're so like. <laughs> in like lovebird talk but they're only but he's only saying horrible dumb things and it's also they have a, a running gag later where um because their clothes are all covered in shit they need kind of loner clothes as their as their clothes go through the laundry and uh crusty wears stone's jeans and he mentions oh they're a little bit loose in the crotch yeah, they're worn because out in the crotch. Yeah. Well, they keep, they keep like hinting that, that Chris that that Chris has like a hot yeah. body and and a big dick, which of course we end up seeing. There's a when when uh, Rusty and Debbie are going to bed, uh, uh, Chris <laughs> as Stone comes in to wish him good night, and he's just wearing underwear, and he has this preposterous comedy bulge. Well, and he does these ridiculous poses with his legs and stretches, and and again, it's him being a cartoon. Like, this yes. is a great performance, but it kind of gets lost in the movie because nothing else, no, nothing is really grounded in any kind of reality. Not just that, but I think, that, like, the final line of that joke isn't great, is that, um, you know, he, he's showing off his, his, his dick poking through his, his pant leg or, you know, up, up against the, his, his underwear, the impression against the underwear and all that. And then um, as, as he walks out of the bedroom... Uh, the wife um, has some line, like, gee, I can't believe, did you see it? And then Rusty's like, yeah, he really works out. Like, it's such a lame... Like, it would have been better had they not had that punchline. Yeah, the scene could have had a could have had a better, a better stinger. But this, oh god, this is, again, more of the cartoon stuff, because, like, the next day, Stone is out on, on like, a four-wheeler uh, ranching cat and takes right. Rusty with him. Yeah. And it's fun, Rusty gets to sort of assert some old-school old, old masculinity, but while, while doing this, Rusty ends up hitting a cow, which explodes. Mm -hmm. And we see him covered in blood and Ophel being hosed off. Again, again it's one of those, it's one of those things where the movie has been so... I, this is a joke I wanted to like because I kind of I kind of like violence that is messy. Yeah, but again, it's 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 it it doesn't work because it's just it's such a it's it's cartoonish in a way that does not play for me. It reminds me, you know, like a better version of this kind of gag I think was in Hanover Three, where Zach Galifianakis is driving with a, a pet giraffe. And he, he runs on the highway, and uh, he goes through an overpass that decapitates the giraffe. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things where like it's it's better because we can use our imaginations to imagine the consequences of the violence that we know happened. Not to mention there's cars around him, so you get other people's reaction to it compared to his oblivious one. In this, it's just, you know, kind of high-intense music, and it's like, oh, shit, ooh. And, like, and yet, you're right, it is very cartoony, and it's pitched a bit too high. And then it's just Ed Helms covered in blood, being in a panic when it probably when it probably should have been a sustained shot of the family looking in his direction, spraying the hose off camera. 
Or sprayed the hose off the car, and the car, you see, has all the... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's other ways you could have done this. And just an example of it's not so successful. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's weird. Like, you have some sequences in this movie that work and some that don't, and they're often right against each other. I kind of like the rafting bit we get. Oh, yeah, they go to the, they go to the Grand Canyon, because they make a comment about how... You know, in the first vacation, they really didn't get to spend any time enjoying the Grand Canyon, but this time they're going to raft it. So it's nice to have a callback to the continuity of the series. And they're they're getting set up, and, you know, the rafter, it's one of the guys from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, isn't it? Charlie Day, my wife thinks I look like him, I don't know, but, oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe. Um, in, in the same way, I guess in the same way that Gimli looks a lot like John Rice davies uh, Yes. <laughs> but anyway, he, um, and, you know, he's getting them all set up, and he's making, he's making jokes, and while getting him set up, he gets a call from his fiance, who's now broken up with him. So he's thrown into despair, and now decides that he wants to end his life by going over these falls. Right. It's a an interesting twist. I think they they play a funny bit of music there too, and he's just is so. Um, I, I've been on those whitewater rafting tours, and there, you know, there's an element of, of danger. Although I think, frankly, it's, it's not as big as they make it out to be, uh, and that you're stuck trying to do this stuff. I mean, if you don't know what to do, you'll just get creamed. And this guy's having this crisis, and meanwhile, of course, there's the uh, the the bit with the waterfall, and they got to stop from going over and all that. Yeah, th and this is another thing where they probably shouldn't have held on it because, like, the, the part of this that works is when there's only music on the soundtrack and we see him, the family rafting, and he keeps trying to sabotage the raft, throwing stuff overboard, you know, <laughs> taking away people's paddles with this weird rictus on his face. But the thing, but then, you know, they, they see, they see the, the waterfall coming up, so they all bail and he doesn't. And what we should see is him going over the fall from their perspective Instead, we pull out and we just flat out see him go over the falls and it suddenly turns into this horrible CGI of him in a wide shot falling down and banging on rocks and screaming the whole way. Yeah, I think I saw better CGI when the Nazi in the tank falls off the cliff in Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. Yeah, it, it's, it's a thing, like... It, I don't mind. I don't mind hearing him hitting rocks. I don't mind hearing him screaming all the way down. But it should be from the family's perspective. We shouldn't be seeing it happen to him. That kind of thing is so much funnier when it's played in your imagination. Unless you know, making unless uh, it's a cartoon, which this is not. I think of the the famous Homer Simpson scene from I don't know. Was it season three season or two? Yeah, two? Bart the is Daredevil. Bart the Daredevil, where he. <laughs> Tries to go on the skateboard and falls down and goes, Don't, don't, don't! Off the edge. And and what's what's brilliant about that one is the first time he goes over the edge, we do see it, and it's a level of cartoon violence with realistic consequences so shocking that it makes you laugh. But when he goes over the second time, we only hear the sound because they can't possibly top that violence again, and only hearing him go through physical hell makes it funnier. Correct. Indeed, the council has agreed. Um, so it's at this point that actual family bonding starts to happen. There's this there's this gag very early on where Ed Helms really likes uh, "Kissed by a Rose" uh, by Seal from the Batman <laughs> right. uh, from the Batman Forever soundtrack, and he tries to get his family to sing it. Nobody wants to, and he's like getting angry. No, come on, Batman Forever, jeez. And it's this one. It comes on the radio again, and he starts singing. And this time they join in. 
and it is and it's kind of sweet although at the same time like there's nothing too funny about it i i wish somebody had pointed out that it's a song about analingus is it quite possibly have you ever actually listened to the lyrics no but now that you say it i probably won't be able to unthink it and then you'll understand that it makes more sense as a song about analingus than about anything else in the world. Mm. Well, um, it reminds me, you know, the, the James Bond song Diamonds Are Forever is about a penis. It has lines like, stroke it and undress it. <laughs> oh, man. But, yes, um, speaking about analingus, earlier in this movie you have uh, Rusty telling his son to... Uh, it's going to give him a rim job or something, right? Well, well what it is is like when so when Rusty sees one of the first times, uh, uh, James, I guess James is the older one. Uh, whenever, whenever the old one of the times the older one runs into the girl he has a crush on, um, Rusty kind of shows up and weirds her out and scares her away. And the kid, the kid asks, like, okay, Dad, what's what's a rim job? And the dad, uh, being an idiot, Rusty says, oh, well, it must be when you kiss someone but use your whole mouth so it makes a seal around the rim. Uh, and this leads yeah. to, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you a rim job. And then, like, again, that comes down later. This is, this is a joke that does not work in a world where the internet exists. <laughs> sure. Like, you, you cannot convince me that somebody wouldn't just look it up online. Now, you could follow that scene up with the scene of him looking on his phone rim job and then cutting away from the screen and then going, ah. Well, no, the funnier, no, the funnier okay. thing really probably should have been then, you know what, I gotta, let's look it up together. Like, that could have worked. Oh, sure. That right. could have worked if they both were sort of equally weirded out by what they were seeing. Mm. But, but, they're both equally weirded out by what they're seeing, but then Rusty goes to Debbie trying to be intimate and brings it up like he wants to do it, and that's the button on that scene. There you go. Well, enough trying to rewrite this movie, which we've been trying to do this whole show. Um, you do get, I think, a nice scene, and all too brief, and I mean, the, the way they were featured in the trailer, you'd think they'd be in the movie more, the Griswolds end up at uh, their their parents' uh, bed and breakfast in San Francisco, and it's run by Clark and Ellen Griswold, play or reprising their roles, Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo. And it was really nice to see them again. Yeah, Chevy, I, also, I like how Clark is a real asshole to people staying at his bed and breakfast. Well, yeah, they run they run a bed and breakfast, but Clark is just Clark, and he's only, like, he's, he's, he's just really sort of almost accidentally abrasive to a lot of the guests. Although, this is where we get more of the dementia jokes. They seem to be laying in that Clark Griswold is suffering from dementia, and that, and that explains half of his inexplicable behavior running the bed and breakfast. Right, and the uh, the car, you know, their car has been destroyed. They they're they're going to give up and go home. And you get a real sweet scene with uh, Chubby Chase talking to with Clark talking to Rusty, sort of explaining, "No, you got to go to Wally World. Remember when we did it? Remember all the fun we had?" And it's a an interesting. It's it's a nice bit of business to you. You get them in the the old car from the first film. Oh yeah, the finishing the job, family truckster. Which, which actually is a fun gag, because he goes, takes him to the garage, and he hits the garage open, and there's this awesome car, and he goes, oh no, I'm sorry, that's not the right car. Hits mm. the other one, and we, get the, and we get the car from the first movie. And even Rusty's like, well, can't we just take your Prius? No, son, you cannot. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of nice. It's um, pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I like I liked a lot of the stuff in here. Like I I really liked getting to see um, the original Griswolds being gra- being good grandparents to their grandkids because uh, that that's that is okay. So n- now now that I'm old enough that my relatives or that my like my cousins are are having kids of their own. I, I've note I've noticed something like among my aunts and uncles, a lot of them make much better grandparents than they make yes. parents. And I cannot wait for the crushing day when I discover that my parents make better grandparents than they did mm. parents. Uh, and like I really liked this, like so a lot of this, a lot of the scenes of the bed and breakfast really rang true for me. And I also liked that we got to see Chevy Chase do some of his some of his physical comedy because um, the older kid's guitar got destroyed earlier in the film, so. Uh, Clark Griswold gives him this old uh, acoustic guitar he has in a glass case, and all the physical business he does trying to get the guitar out of the case is so good. It is. It makes me wish they would have been in the movie a bit earlier. And it, um, leads, and it leads to a nice running gag where he keeps talking about, oh yeah, I got that from Jimi Hendrix. Not the famous Jimi Hendrix. Like He knows all these <laughs> sure. people named yeah. after classic rock stars. When you have the feeling maybe Chevy Chase punched up some of the dialogue there, or maybe there's some improvisation, I don't know. But yeah, it, it does feel like the film comes a bit alive. And, th- and then we get the, the climax, uh, sort of similar to the climax of the original Vacation, where they go to Wally World. But I, I do like in this one, in the original film, I thought Wally World, maybe because of budgetary reasons, you couldn't really show it off. In this one, they do a smart redesign of Wally World to make it more corporate, and it feels more like a full theme park. Y- you know... I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. It does look and feel more corporate, but it makes it more grounded in reality. It makes this Wally world work. And like seeing all the crazy stuff going on, all the rides and stuff, I could I could totally get, oh, I now understand why people want to go to Wally World. There's some horrible CGI rides that make up yes. a lot of the backgrounds, but but they do make it seem like a like a fun place people would want to go to. Although there appears to be a tilt a whirl that's just hovering in midair in one of the establishing shots. Hmm. Which and, I, and I cannot tell. Like I feel like that has to be a mistake. That couldn't have been an intentional joke. Right. And um just like in the first one, you have a, a climax at the roller at the big roller coaster. Yeah, they they spend the entire day in line for the Velociraptor roller coaster, which Rusty's been talking about from the beginning of the film. And okay, so one gag I like is they keep passing as the day goes on. They keep passing signs that tells you how long your estimated wait time is. And there's a great bit where one of the ride workers comes up to a sign and adds an extra hour to it. Yeah. And it's great. And so they finally, you know, they finally get there, and they're denied a seat on the roller coaster because of the airline pilot that was having affairs all around the world from the from the opening scene. So that's nice bringing that back in. And yet, I'm not entirely sure why he's at Wally World when he could be in Europe or any or any other place. But this, we get to we get to a a, a fight a slow mo fight scene. Where the Griswold family beats up his family to try to get his spot on the roller coaster. And I kind of like that. Really... I, I liked it more that the the guy that plays his rival is Ron Livingston, perhaps best known for playing the lead in Office Space. Oh yeah. But that they have a fight, that they kind of go for it. It does show sort of the the chaos of the families and the the level they're willing to go to to go on this ride. Now I have not myself. I have not been to a theme park. Uh, since 1996. 
Hmm. Um, have you been to one more recently, Thrasher? Can you can you vouch for how crazy the line system is? Because I've heard I, you can get special passes or something. Oh, oh yeah, you can get special passes, which is how he got through. I, like a lot of the bigger parks will do that. You can get those like no line pack uh, passes. Um, I actually, I'm not sure I have either. I guess the last one I would have, I guess the last time I would have been to a, a straight up theme park probably would have been not counting one water park I went to in the 2000s. Probably would have been 1998. I would have gone to uh, King's Dominion. Uh, ah, yes. This part of the yearly band trip back when I was Virginia. in the school, the school yeah. band. Um, I mean, I know such things exist, and I know there are lines that can be quite long. Um, I, I know, I know at least one th one thing I do know, just because I had a college professor who who uh, was at one point in his career an Imagineer, um, that the, the Disney parks at least. They try to make it so... Not only do they try to hide the fact that there's a line by using creative architecture, they try to make sure that there's entertaining stuff happening in the lines to help the time pass faster. But not every, but not every you know, amusement park has the resources of a Disney, so the line stuff totally played, played well for me. Yeah, the um, line stuff provided... Oh, go on. The fight... I think the only thing missing from the fight is I feel like there should have been observers being horrified by this violence. No one who's already in the roller coaster seems to mind, and the amusement park staff seems fine letting these two families beat the shit out of each other and not starting the roller coaster until they're done. Yeah, you do get a quick shot of a staff member sucking on a milkshake and then it drops in slow motion. That cast member is a cameo from one of the directors, John Francis Daly. Um... But again, like it's a half second shot, and you have to know what he looks like to catch that it's him. Like, like it, okay, at the risk of rewriting yet another scene, I think what should have happened is while Jesus. they were fighting, the roller coaster should have started. Yeah. And they should have missed it because it's established that that's the last ride of the roller coaster of the day because they're going to close down the park. Although it seems to be noon, so I don't know why they'd close it down at noon. Like that should have been it. That should have been the climax. Uh, again, it would echo the first film, but it just seems appropriate that the Griswolds would finally take a stand, but still would be denied what it was they were after the whole thing. What about this? They do the fight, they win, they're victorious, and just as they stand up, the roller coaster goes off. Yep, or they're arrested. Like either, uh, either oh yeah, sure. In the first work. film, right? They get, um, but instead we do get them on the roller coaster, which is kind of like, like it, the roller coaster. The beginning of the roller coaster scene works because they start all singing "Kissed by a Rose" again and really getting into it. Yeah. Maybe this is when they should have brought back "Kissed by a Rose" after two failed attempts to do it. This is when they do it, rather than they fail to do it, they do it, but then they do it again on a roller coaster. But and they could they have steam in the cart behind them. But they are still That's denied stable. because yeah. the roller coaster gets jammed on its first loop, and it I, apparently I thought takes it was several hours for them to get rescued. Yeah, I I wasn't much of a fan of that. I think you know I, I mean thinking of the last time I, I mentioned it when I was in a theme park, our family was on the brink of divorce, and they decided, hey, let's even though we're uh, let's go even though we're in middle school. Uh, let's go to a theme park in the middle of July in Florida. Let's go to Universal Studios, Florida. Uh, big mistake. We only got a one-day pass, and we were uh -huh. so appalled we did not get a second-day pass. Because we spent two and a half hours in line for King Kong, three oh, hours wow. in line for Back to the Future, and that's uh, most of your day right there. E.T. was not much of a ride line, and I thought E.T. might have been the best ride of them all. Huh. Which is why, here's, here's a trick, listeners. If you're going to a theme park, 
go like in October or maybe March when they're off season times. Oh yeah, actually going in the off season is really really overlooked. If only because, like, yeah, the envir- the atmosphere might not be the best, but you never have to wait for lines. You never have to... Uh, there's, like, the population density is so low at the attraction, you, it, you're much less likely to be forced to have to deal with a jerk. Another good trick is show up a little bit before it opens to be in the front of the line and have kind of a loose plan in mind. Hmm. But enough of our stupid advice... Um, after after it's all over, the, the Griswolds, the, the adults, decide to have their own little vacation in Paris, but the boys get to go home with their uh, uh, in-laws or something. Yeah, they're going to stay, they're gonna, the boys are going to stay with some relatives and get some time away from their parents, and then, yeah, Rusty and Debbie are going to go, are going to finally uh, go to Paris. They're just going to leave from Los Angeles, which is which is kind of nice, but to the point where I kind of wish... I kind of wish that might have been a whole better movie where we see just the parents in Paris and just the kids with relatives and we see their parallel journeys. Yes. You know, yeah. each one trying to make it look like they're having a better time than the, the other. I think the thing that I don't really quite like is that when they're flying, when I like that they're in the very back of the plane, which is the worst place to sit because those seats do not go back and are at perfect right angles. And they're right in front of the, the restroom door, which keeps swinging out and presumably smacking rusty. But for some reason, like, uh, what they try to sort of leave it on is, but this is going to be a 12-hour flight. Yeah, it's a flight to Europe. Those aren't fast. Yeah, that's not a joke. It's a fact. <laughs> so, yeah, it just kind of, it just kind of, and, and so it just kind of, like, ends. It's not kind of an appropriate, like, like button. I feel like if it, it was going to have it, the, you know what the appropriate button would be? Where it turns out the pilot is the pilot with dementia from the beginning of the movie, and the plane does more of those shakes, and Rusty gets tossed around again. That's your button for the movie. And it ends with him in the face of another child's crotch. Or, so, or something. Some, something suitably yeah. embarrassing uh, would sure. happen. Uh, and you know, then you know, get Christina Aguilera... Uh, Christina Aguilera, Christina Applegate shaking her head, going to, as if to say, here we go again. Not again. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know what I loved about the credits? More covers of Holiday Road. I, well, I mean, it, no, no. So this this was so great. So I, I went ahead and watched the whole credits. At the end of the credits, they play a one a Wally World theme by Mark Mothersbaugh, and it is brilliant. Oh, it has lyrics and things. Yeah, like it starts huh. out sounding okay. like it's a jingle for Wally World, but it slowly mutates into a Devo song. And it's, just, <laughs> it's just so great. No one ever dies at Wally World. You will live forever at Wally World. And it's it's so good. We, we should end the episode with that song. It sounds amazing. Okay, I'll freaking know that. Although, so this is something to... I don't know if they explained this in the movie, and so I didn't know if this was deliberate, if this was like a deliberate, like weird thing. So the place is called Wally World. Their mascot is a moose, but the moose's name is Marty. Was that? Hmm. Is there, is there like, is, is that just some deliberate absurdist flourish, or is there like a, a reason for that? I don't... Oh, and I love that it's a hmm. hip young redesign of Marty the Moose, where he's got like a soul patch and a like a, a knit hat. 
yes, and there's a whole cast of animal characters which you didn't really see in the first one either. Um, no, I think that's a good point. But yeah, that's uh, all very interesting. I um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, overall, this this vacation film, it's it's very hit and miss for me. But I'll have to give it a sequel. No, I, I think there's not enough here to make it worth it. A lot of it feels tired. Uh, it, it's not for lack of trying. I think um, uh, I, I like the scene. I like the Chris Hemsworth scenes. I like the the scene on the the rafting trip. Um, I like the Chevy Chase stuff, but other than that, I mean, I, I maybe only like 20 minutes out of this whole movie. It it, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, everyone is game for it, but it, it's just not quite there. I mean, with all the different places you can go on a vacation, why go to Wally World again? Sequel no for me. Or why not set the whole thing at Wally World? Uh, yeah, sure. That's Make true. them sick of Wally World. You're, you're probably going to hate this. I'm going to give this movie a sequel, yes. God damn it. For yeah, two okay, for why? two main reasons. So that, this is not a good movie. This is not a good movie at all. And yet I don't regret watching it. I think this cast is very good. I would like to see this cast make another vacation movie, hopefully a better one. Hmm. And the handful of standout scenes that I liked, the stuff with Chris Hemsworth, the stuff at the four corners, those scenes were so good. I kind of don't care how much crap is surrounding. I would just, you know, in a DVD world, I can skip straight to those scenes. That's true, or YouTube, or whatever, yeah, you're right. This movie has a lot of dead weight, but technology has made that dead weight easy to circumvent. It reminds me of how Entertainment Weekly, when The Phantom Menace came out on DVD, they gave a rating for the whole movie, then they gave a rating for what they called the Good Parts version. Huh. In which they skipped to just the lightsaber scenes, or whatever. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was an amusing way to do it, but... Yeah, um... Okay, so for, for Pitch's sequel, I have something in mind. Go right ahead. I would do, uh... So Rusty, it's established in this movie as a pilot, and uh, it turns out he he enters a, uh... sort of a contest. He wants to really have, have a crazy vacation for his family, and he's kind of tight on money. His marriage is kind of on the rocks again. And he says, you know what I need? I need a contest so I'll win this big thing. Um, but instead of, you know, winning a game show to go to Europe... He wins this this uh, raffle ticket at work to become his family will be the first family on this uh, commercial space airline that will take you to the International Space Station and back. So it'll be vacation. <laughs> it'll be called Space Vacation. Space Vacation. Space And there'll be a uh, a family they meet that's a Russian analog of the Griswolds on the International <laughs> Space Station. The Grizoroviches. <laughs> Griswoldich, yeah, and uh, it, um, and there'll be a lot of you know hijinks with the uh, with no gravity. There'll be a lot of uh, some kind of thing will occur where they're like burning up and re-entering, have to do some convoluted thing to uh, to survive. And uh, I think you would even have a clip from Warwick Davis as the Leprechaun in there. Just ask the Leprechaun. Yeah, just as a leprechaun in a corner of the Russian space station. Now, would Beverly D'Angelo and Chevy Chase be heads in jars? Uh, that would be a... Yeah, there would be a joke in there where in the in the space station, of course, you have a laboratory, and something happens where their heads end up in jars because there are some sinister agents on board. 
And at one point, the heads get attached to the wrong bodies, and we'll just imagine it from there. Oh, hilarity ensues. Hilarity ensues, of course. And um, you you would have, uh, again, I would also put in cameos from James, or not James, from Clark and Ellen Griswold from Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo. They would go to Mission Control in Florida, and um, Clark would, would hit Ron buttons while trying to fix the problem and making things worse. They, it would just be called Spacecation. <laughs> and the tagline, instead of Holiday Road, it would be Holiday Universe. <laughs> holiday Road? Where they're going, they don't need Holiday Roads. And uh, the poster... I'm looking at this uninspired selfie poster from this Vacation movie. I think Spacecation, in my mind, would have a, a poster where... Um, it would be like a wide shot of, of the rocket, of the the plane going into space, and there would be a, like, toilet paper kind of trailing off the end of the tail of the plane. And the, and the vehicle would be green with wood paneling? Y yeah. Yeah, something like that. So that that's my cute picture sequel. That one's yeah, actually not too bad. If out there want to fire the, uh, <laughs> fire the Wacken Queen family trucks into space, why the fuck not? Sure. I mean, why isn't there a, a National Lampoon Vacation TV show? That's my real question, but go on. Didn't they try to do a spin-off TV show about Ernie? I bet you're right, but I'm I, not going to look that up. Because I thought the Island Adventure was a stealth pilot for that project. You know, I could see that, come to think of it, but... Um, anyway, all, right, all right, what's your so, picture sequel? So, um, short ones, then the long ones. So, why not send the Griswolds to Tokyo? Why the hell not? Of course, um, Sure. Also, I would love to see uh, Staycation, where it's all about <laughs> it's all about Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo running running the bed and breakfast, and it's all these vignettes where lots of Griswold type families keep coming through the house, and like so, we keep seeing snippets of presumably other people's vacate other families' vacation movies, but with the two classic Griswolds stuck in the middle of it. But the long run, uh, you do uh, you do uh, final vacation, where the where the young Griswolds and the old Griswolds they all get back together and they all set it up like they're going to take a nice a nice uh, cross country road trip together, but they're not. This one's going to be a little bit melancholy because Clark Griswold's dementia has proceeded to the point where he and his wife can no longer live on their own and run that bed and breakfast. The big reveal is they're actually driving to a retirement community where he can get the care he needs and where where Ellen Griswold does not have to devote herself 100% of the time to making sure Clark doesn't kill himself with his own antics. Hmm. And this movie will sort of explore themes of obsolescence and death and the way the way we treat the elderly and the way that health problems of both the young and the old are ignored and the way we do disservice to people with these needs uh, in our society. It, this this is going to be a vacation movie with some weight. It'll be more thinky than funny, probably. Okay. That's a, it's a bit different. This movie gave me a lot of ideas. I had a lot of time to think while watching this movie. Well, speaking of watch a Thrasher, what you're watching? Watch, watch. Well, most recent thing I watched, I finally saw Ant Man and the Wasp. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. Okay, so, um, it, it, and what did you think? I, I, I hear it's kind of like a standalone. 
Uh, it it stands on its own very very well. All the old, the only information from like the previous films that you really need is front loaded into the movie pretty elegantly. Uh, aside from one flashback, uh, so it's not like it, like you can follow this movie without having to see any of the other movies Ant Man has appeared in. Um, and it's just generally it's like it's generally fun, generally crowd pleasing. Um, I like that there are antagonists, but there are really no villains in this movie, which is which is a pretty nice uh, a pretty nice way to do it. Um, I like that the stakes are small. The, all the stakes in this movie are very small and very personal. And that, that only works to this movie's advantage. Uh, the fate of the world is not at stake. The fate of the nation is not at stake. It's all about the handful of people that are in the movie. That being said, the mid credit sequence... The mid credit sequence uh, is a real kick to the balls. Okay. I won't go into it if people haven't seen it, I guess, but it's sure. like... But it, it's... And, and even then, part of me knew, kind of guessed what would have to happen in that scene, but it still hit me a lot. Oh, but, you know what else I saw? You know what, uh, Joe Bob Briggs? That's right. Um, yeah, he, on TNT, right? He used to do these... Um, Not just on TNT, also movie the movie marathons. channel, but... Yeah, it's okay. a horror, he's a horror movie host, but the whole premise is his horror movie host identity is that he's just a cowboy who lives in a trailer who likes bad movies. And the character was brought out of retirement of The Shutter, which is a horror movie uh, streaming service. They did a movie marathon hosted by Joe Bob Briggs doing all the stuff he used to do on his old shows. And it was great. I have, I'm have i about a third of the way through. I'm working my way through the whole marathon. Um, so they it have was, it where you can watch it on demand? Yeah, it was originally streamed live. They yes. did a live stream twice, but they went ahead and set it up so you can either watch the stream again or you can watch the individual movies with the host segments. That's pretty smart. And apparently it did well enough. This was supposed mm. to be the last ride for Joe Bob Briggs. Apparently it did well enough. They're going to try to do one more before the end of the year. So was it a mixture of like older and newer stuff, or mostly mostly older? Lots of stuff from the seventies and eighties. They showed Cronenberg's uh, Rabid. They hmm. showed celebr- uh, They showed uh, Sorority Babes and the Slimeball Bolarama, which is just a wonderful shitty movie. And I assume the movies are uncut because it's a streaming service. As near as, near as I can tell, yeah. Does he do? Um... Does he do, like, bits in between the movie, or is it just before and after? Oh, no, he does before and after, and he does things in between. He interrupts the movie several times to Good. interview people or to talk about stuff that's going on, to give his commentary. It's really, really cool. I'll have to check that out. That's a, that's a pretty inspired thing uh, thing to do. and uh, yeah, 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 good on him. Good on him. Um, I watched a documentary that half of it bored me, and the other half I uh, really liked. It is the new HBO documentary, Robin Williams, Come Inside My Mind. Huh. And uh, this this just came out. Um, the first half is, you know, going about Robin Williams' career. I didn't really learn anything apart from seeing some R-rated outtakes from Work and Mindy, which were pretty amusing. Hmm. But then it, it starts getting more into his um, his multiple marriages and divorces, and eventually, towards the end, it gets very sad, of course, with his uh, uh, Parkinson's and other diagnosis, diagnoses he had. 
And you get a lot of very, um, very personal interviews with people like uh, Eric Idle. Um, oh, who else? Bobcat Goldthwait. Um, some very close friends of his. The, the names are escaping me right now. But you see people you don't normally see. Uh, the actress that played Mindy and Mork and Mindy is there talking a lot. And at one point she gets so overwhelmed she won't speak about it. Um, Hmm. Oh, the one thing, out of Robin Williams' three children, only his oldest son speaks on camera, and his final, his last wife doesn't speak on camera, and there is some, um, as unfortunately tends to, to happen after Robin, Robin Williams died, there is a bit of a, a fight over his estate between his kids and his uh, last wife. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, I think one thing that was unintentionally funny about the end, which is very very sad with Robin Williams having his, his disease and stuff is you get to see people like Eric Idle be honest and completely slag off that sitcom he did at the end of his career huh. the crazy ones I think it was he did it I think you're right it was the crazy ones wasn't it yes and he did it with Sarah Michelle Gellar and it was produced by David E. Kelly um, only lasted one season it, um, yeah, so it's, I would say if, if you don't have a lot of time, you can just get by with watching the second half of it, because the first half, it it uses every, like, 70s music cue you can think of. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's very, it feels like any biography, very predictable, but towards the end it gets more emotional, and uh, yeah, I cried a few times towards the end. It, it was, it's, it's good, and it, it's... You know, for someone as myself that's such a fan of Robin Williams, I have not brought myself to watch a movie since he died that starred him in it. And that was quite some time ago now. 2014. Wow, so it's been four years. Um, will be four years this coming August. Uh, one, I'm trying to think, it, it does mention a few, uh, it does mention how he did do a lot of uh, shows performing for the troops overseas, which wasn't something he broadcast, really, and he did a lot to, um, I think after doing the Fisher King or something, he got very involved with, with uh, helping homeless people, and he had it in his contract where you had to have a few homeless people working on a film if you had Robin Williams in it. Huh, really? That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, they also get into, he had a, uh, he was very famously into cocaine and alcohol and all this stuff, and then went sober after John Belushi died, and then he had a, a relapse with the alcohol. Um, in the early 2000s, he did a movie in Alaska, and he was bored shitless, and he's like, what am I doing here? There's nothing to do. Oh, I'll, I'll drink this cute little bottle of vodka in the hotel room. And uh, things went downhill from there. They go into that, which I thought was pretty interesting. So there, there's some things uh, to enjoy here. Um, and, yeah, I guess overall I'd recommend it. I did not realize Bork and Mindy was four seasons. I thought it was shorter than that. Um, it also it was supposed to be five seasons, but it, yes. it, it ended on an unresolved cliffhanger. Do you remember what that was? Uh, yeah, so there is, like, the last episode, there's this evil alien called, like, Zark or something. It's a, like like an evil Orkian who, like, wants to sort of take take Mork's place on Earth and what ends up happening is they get into these, you know, space power fights, but it ends with them, like, 
jumping through a time warp to escape him, and the final shot of the series is some archaeologists discovering a cave painting, and the cave painting has these crude renditions of Mork and Mindy standing amongst these prehistoric elk. And what they were trying to set up was that the next season was going to start with them trapped in the past, and they were going to have to like leap through time to get back to the present and put everything to rights. But because it ends on such somber music, and because that is the last episode, it makes it look like the evil Alien 1 took Mork's place, and that Mork and Mindy died in prehistory. Hmm. Wow, uh, this is a bit of Morgan-made trivia. From 82 to 83, there was a short-lived um, animated block called the Mork and Mindy Laverne and Shirley Fawns Hour, yeah, which was that... Ruby Spears and uh, Rob Williams and Pam Dauber reprised their roles, where Mork is observing high school students. Yeah, and then there's a second season of the Mork cartoon where it's not voiced by Robin Williams, but he's in college. It's just baffling. Okay. Now, I believe that was also the same... That was the same programming block where we got the animated Laverne and Shirley where they joined the army. Yes, and also the the Fonz had his own sort of thing on there, too. Uh, Fonz and the Happy Days Gang, where they got a time machine. <laughs> Reminds me of the misguided decision from the uh, Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure cartoon. I think in its second season, they said, well, time travel, there's not enough stories for that, so let's have it so they can go into books as well. God, yeah. You know what I would love like, to see? I would love to see an Expendables-type movie where it's the surviving cast of Happy Days as they are now. They finally return to Milwaukee in a busted-ass time machine and have to readjust to life in 21st century America. Hmm. Henry Winkler, uh, I'm waiting for that phone to ring. I am... Uh, speaking of Expendables, Expendables 4... Looks like it's probably going to happen. Um, although Terry Crews is not going to be in it because he has a sexual assault lawsuit against one, one of, of Stallone's. Uh, one of the producers here also happens to be one of the, someone in Stallone's pocket. But yeah, um, the movie I'm very sad, which was not made. <laughs> they were going to do a female spinoff called The Expenda Bells. Yeah, I remember that being news uh, about two years ago. <laughs> That, and they were trying to get Meryl Streep, Cameron Diaz, and Mia Jovovich to be in it. But that, no, um, Bridget Nielsen? Probably Bridget Nielsen, too. It, it ended up not happening. But Simple um, Danny would have to be in that, too. Uh, Bet's, um, Betty, Betty White could have been one, in it. One of the LaFemmes Nikita would probably need to be in that, too. Whether it's from the original movie or the or the TV show. The Natalie Portman cameo? Oh, never mind. That's um, uh, The Professional. It's a different one. Yeah. Anyway, this has been a weird episode. Um, hey, you know what I just noticed? I was just looking here at uh, some, some more, uh, as far as like estimated budgets go, apparently it looks like Warner Brothers spent more money advertising vacation than they did on making vacation. Yeah. By, by Which, isn't that dollars. surprising with movies of that budget? I mean, now it's like you either get things that are huge budget or no budget, is, is the complaint I've heard. Okay, so can we, uh, before before we get into our final bit, can I talk about the other buttons that are on the control dashboard? Go for it, yes. Alright, so I'm just going to, uh, these are in the order they appear on the dashboard. Unfortunately, they are not arranged in comedy order. And also keep in mind, there's a row of switches next to these. We never see what they do. So, uh, they are Rabbit, which I believe made the back of the car fall off. Um, there are a series of wavy lines like that on a Zenner card. There's a battery, a lightning bolt scissors, 
a system called GJRS, the swerve, a plus sign, a t-shirt, a rocket ship, a duck, a bicycle, a play button, but the play is facing the wrong direction, a knife and fork, a man walking, a uh, fuel gauge, a leaf, that tornado thing again, a key, a button that is blank, but if you look at it, there is what looks like an hourglass on it that's meant to light up. We never see it light up. Another system, HRS, a pair of sunglasses that are so poorly drawn, at first I thought they were a mustache, the letter R, and a sailboat. Is that a dozen? I lost count. Uh, that is, oh, I'll do some uh, quick, man, let me see one. Oh, no, that is, there's 24 buttons. <laughs> And like they do, wow. yeah, again, they do things like make the bumper fall off, and one of them makes the car explode. Okay. And that was one of the things. That was another one of the things is like the, the the GPS they have, or the GPS starts yelling at them in Korean. That that that's one of those jokes that should have been a little funny, not funny at all, and the funniest thing ever. I never, I never laughed once. A lot of it is like they mean well, but they try too hard, or the scenes go on for too long. I think we too premisey, too too premisey, yes, or or you're trying to build up too big of a concept. You don't have enough time. I don't know. I think we've beaten that to death. Um, speaking of beating <laughs> to death, what are we doing as our next series, Thrasher? Oh, gosh, uh, Do you I remember? believe uh, it doesn't have to be what you go on. Well, I thought, uh, I thought uh, as per our conversation, we were going to do uh, the Austin Powers trilogy. Correct. It's, I'm shocked we have not done that on the show yet. I am, too. That's one of those things where I've thought about suggesting it before. Like, no, we had to have done that. I'm not going to look, but we had to have done that. Right, and we, we haven't. And uh, I am surprised that never got a part four. Mm. It's been in development, but yeah. So... Austin Powers will be looking at that, um, that the trilogy. The people will need money soon enough. They'll make a fourth one. I'm, you know, Mike Myers is having fun with uh, season two. Got his airing of the Gone Show, with him as the host, pretending to be a, a, an Australian person. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that? I haven't seen the show, but I saw the trailer and immediately, I didn't even know Mike Myers was involved because they did try to cover it up. I took one look at him, like, oh, that's Mike Myers in makeup. How can they possibly hide this? That is so clearly Mike Myers in makeup. But they did spend like about a month, a month and a half denying that it was Mike Myers. He even had a real article in Variety, um, yeah, denying it. It's it's weird. Speaking of denial, I have one last thing I want to talk about. <laughs> Go on. I am endlessly fascinated with IHOP's, in my opinion, misguided campaign to rename themselves from IHOP to IHOB as a fake stunt to promote their burgers. Oh, uh, yeah. Are you familiar with that? They changed the signage in the restaurants, and it I, turns out... F Go on. Yeah, I, I know I know of that. We don't have any near where I live, so I never, like, saw any of it. I just saw people commenting about it online. Yeah, it got people whipped into a frenzy. It only resulted in 5% increase of foot traffic. For such an expensive stunt, that's not very successful. And I read pretty uh, damning editorials in the Wall Street Journal. I, I think where people are saying things like, "It's not good company practice to have a ad campaign based on lies." 
(laughs) (laughs) And uh, when I heard it was IHOB, I thought, oh, it's going to be International House of Breakfast or something. Um, Or Biscuits. I thought Biscuits. Biscuits would have been good, sure. And it is true people forget IHOP serves meals uh, of all kind around the clock. But you don't go there for the burgers. I wouldn't. In fact, I'd be less likely to get one after their stupid campaign. Um, And, yeah, I just thought that was just such a strange bit of business to do. And and the thing uh, my wife said, which I thought was interesting, is... Well, don't younger people think of Hob, like Hobgoblin? You know, that kind of occurred to me, too. I was like, mm-hmm. is this a Spider-Man crossover? Yeah, or, or Dungeons and Dragons, or yeah, it's like Hob. Hob Fable. doesn't sound appealing, right? Hop? Oh, it's like a bunny or something that's cute. Hob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, anyway, misguided, misguided, misguided. Speaking of misguided, we have a scene to read. We do have a scene to read, um... So let, let's There's four get to characters. it. Let's, so we're gonna hold on. I gotta restore my chat window, and I did. Okay. So what 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 scene do you want to do? Or not oh, scene. See, sorry. This this is one of the scenes that I felt was like both true to life because things like this have happened to me on family road trips, but also a scene that did make me laugh. Where it's just this is after this is when they're back in the car after they killed the cow, and it's just the family kind of bonding over this bovine massacre that they just partook in. So, what characters do you want? Um, let's see. Could I do... Could I do, uh... Rusty... And, uh... I guess, actually, I'll do... I'll do Rusty and... Uh, Kevin. That way, I'm not doing any voices back-to-back. And I'll do James and Debbie? Okay. Okay, let's, let's go. Alright, so they're in the car. Uh, maybe for lunch we could find a, a, a burger place, you know, like a, like a drive through burger place. Oh, I, I don't know, Dad. I think we should steer clear of that. <laughs> Good one, James. All right, enough, you guys. Dad hit a cow, okay? Let's just move on. Hey, I got one. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. James is a piece of shit. You, 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 kind, kind of missed the point on that one, buddy. That's a good example of why some of the humor in the film doesn't work, really. Um, that James yeah, is a piece of but, shit leaves a... In, uh, I, I'm not a prude, but that just... Well, it's just, it's a just really good cow horrible, pun. but not in a funny way. It's just, like, random. Yeah, you just, like, shove it. It's like, oh, I like just maybe think, I think if the, it somehow tied the cow into it. Somehow. I only have one thing to say. Filth, flour, and filth, flour, and filth. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, you I, and your bull dink. Yeah. Um, if that was my whole act, I'd say shit, fuck, pussy, good night. Yeah. Um, playing tribute to Eddie Murphy. I almost said the late Eddie Murphy, but he's not dead. <laughs> well, eventually that will be true. Although what's cool is he is starring in a, a biopic for Netflix about Rudy Ray Moore. Damn, that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Uh, you can listen... Oh, and uh, Thrasher, people can follow you as well. Yes, on Twitter at Internet Mayor. You can listen to this show on uh, whatever podcast app you please, uh, including Stitcher, where you can hear it streaming, along with a lot of other great shows, like uh, Gilbert Gottfried's Colossal Podcast. And I heard uh, it's amazing. 
But it is. What are some other podcasts that you enjoy? Can you oh, gosh. I, I know it hasn't been updated in a while, but I love to go back to it. It's kind of my comfort food podcast is um, Go Bayside, which is a podcast where comedians review episodes of Saved by the Bell. The Paul F. Oh, Tompkins boy. episodes are amazing, uh, as are the Jimmy Pardo episodes. Um, also a big fan of 302010 from Laser Time. 302010 is good. I, I'm also I'm a fan of the Doughboys, in which... Um, Two comedians have usually a, a third comedian on as a guest, and then they go to a, a typically like a fast food or a fast casual place, order a bunch of food, and then review it. Huh. They recently had Haley Joel Osment on to talk about Quiznos. <laughs> <laughs> and they talk about their misguided... Um, they had the internet animator do a thing about like weasels screeching about Quiznos. In the 2000s? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, we like the Psalms. Yeah, the, the guy who did the, uh, the, the guy who kind of did a lot of, a lot of crazy, funny, goofy internet videos. He did the infamous Viking Cats uh, to the tune of the Immigrant Song. Release the missile, the missiles. Yeah, all the, oh, that might have been a different guy. But yeah, the video memes before YouTube and it was all Flash cartoons. Um, so uh, follow SequelCast on Twitter, at SequelCast. Two, and uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, please leave a review. That that always helps on whatever podcast thing you're listening to us on. Whether Absolutely. It's, uh, iTunes or it's not called iTunes anymore. It's the Apple Podcast app or whatever else you do. And we're better uh, than most other podcasts because we save this for the end. That's right. We don't start the show with five minutes of begging. We end it with five minutes of begging. <laughs> and as and Paul Newman said, the last five to you. Right, and as Paul Newman said, the last five minutes are the most important of any podcast. So, uh, tune in next week. We will look at uh, start our look at the Austin Powers trilogy over the next month. Yeah, baby. So, for sequelcast, get in my belly. <laughs> Basil Exposition is my favorite character in that series. <laughs> um, for sequelcast two, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. Ba 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 Can you do a line instead? Oh yeah, I can do I can do a line. Do we want to redo the whole thing or just want me to do the line? Uh we'll just redo the whole thing. For sequel cast two, this is Matt. <laughs> and this is Thrasher. Same. I invented the chug run. There we go. Very good. <laughs>